Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth while protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your hosts, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome back to Ditch the Suits podcast. Steve Campbell here with you. In today's episode, this will be part two of a three-part series we've called Investment Monsters. In part one, we broke down mutual funds and how you may not be as diversified as you think, but we also shared some things you can do about it. Today, we will help you avoid bad investment decisions by understanding things like recency bias and how to protect yourself against some of the most common investment mistakes. Maybe you're wondering, is now the right time to put more money into investments or should I sell everything I have? You have to fight your own internal investment monster that wants you to sell at the wrong time and chase returns when really it's just too late. Feelings are always at odds with our investment principles. Don't worry, Travis and I are going to help you sort through all of this today. As always, thanks for stopping by. If this is your first time, please subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. We would also love to earn a five-star rating and review from you. This enables other listeners to find us more easily. But we hope this message inspires you to take control of your money Because as we always say, it's your money and your life, and you only get one shot at this thing. Thanks for being our guest. Well, welcome back to Ditch the Suit. Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss. We are continuing our Monsters of Investment series, so don't get scared. Uh, In the first part, we talked to you about mutual funds. We laid the groundwork that probably many of you as investors own mutual funds. We helped shed some light on what these actually are and how you can tell if you're as diversified as you thought you were. In this point, though, we want to talk about just how avoiding bad investment decisions by understanding recency bias, things that have happened to you most recently that are shaping the way you think about things now, how to protect yourself against some of the most common investment mistakes. So we're going to go back to a little bit of this role play. I'm going to put myself in the shoes of an investor, talking to a financial professional. Think about maybe some of the questions that you can ask your advisor or planner. Maybe this will help you. So if I came to you, Travis, as a client, and I said, you know, is now the right time to actually put some more money into investments or should I think about selling my investments and how do I even know? What would you say? When you're thinking about investing, I think the most important thing to realize is it has to be unemotional decisions. Mm -hmm. We have to be thinking about what do we know? When we look at investments, we can come up with a general idea of what the value of an investment is, the real value, not the price, but what something's actually worth if you were to break it down and put it back together. And we can get the price because we can look at the stock market and see what the price is that day. So that's why the stock market is called a market because it's, you know, stuff's on sale or stuff, you know, people are charging more for things. So it's stock market. Yep. So we go on there and we get the price and we can look at the price and we can look at the value and we can pretty much figure out, do I really want to pay 10% over uh, what I should be paying or 30 or 40% over what I should be paying, or maybe I'll wait for that to go on sale and I'll come back and I'll get it when it's on sale. Mm -hmm. So first thing that when, you know, you're thinking about is now the right time to invest is what are the prices? Am I getting good value for my money? I've never met anybody who says, yeah, I love overpaying for stuff. So investments are the same way. However, it's confusing because all you see is, you know, average returns when you're looking at things or you see people that, wow, I bought this stock and I made 100%. You're feeling, wow, I feel like I missed out. What am I supposed to do? And that that gets us all the way in. You know, we go from, yes, I'm going to control my emotions. I'm going to have a plan to all of a sudden you start to see the market moving like it is now. It's down seven or 8%. And okay, it hurts. I don't want to lose money. 
Yep. You know, shouldn't I be selling? You know, that happens a lot. Or the end of last year, market was really good. Should I be buying more? And it's it's interesting. I, I've been using kind of like this analogy. If the market closed at the end of January for the year for, for 2021, instead of at the end of December, and the market had gone down at the end of January, like it did, people would say, eh, that makes sense. The market was really high last year. Right. But because it happened this year, you know, like there's a line on this in December 31st. And so for last year, you got your return and this year now you're down. Yep. All of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, even though if you had packed it into last year, people would be like, yeah, you know, that's not a big deal. I still got a double digit return on my portfolio this year. It's like, okay, I had my great return last year. This year it's horrible. Something must be broken. Mm-hmm. Well, but I think it's not. The prices came down. That's all it is. Right. Well, and that's the question I have right now. I'm watching what's happening. You know, I got money. I've had some some good winners, but I'm also, should I start to get out? Is this a trend that's going to continue? So is it the right time for me to really put money in or how can I at least help me have peace of mind? How can I have a framework that that allows me when I see these things happening to understand what's happening and how I can make sense of it? Well, I think that we need to make sure that we don't have something called recency bias kind of coming in. So we talked about being really disciplined and understanding prices and value, but that's really hard when you've had these experiences like last year mm-hmm. or even the last couple of years where it's been very positive. Every time you get that quarterly statement, it seems like it's going up and you're doing well. And so it's like, well, you know, things are supposed to keep going up. So I should put money in. Well, what does it have to do with anything? At the end of the day, the question still goes back to, is it a two for one sale right now? Like when, when you go and you buy eggs, if it's buy one, get one free for eggs at the grocery store, you don't say, well, the second carton of eggs isn't worth anything. I guess I'll, you know, I'll take them, but I'm going to throw them out in the parking lot. You say, Hey, that's great. I saved $3 on a carton of eggs. Right. Well, that's the same thing with investing, but we're emotional creatures. So, you know, we get kind of tricked into things. So this think about recency bias is this, because this is one of the biggest drivers to kind of indecision or bad decision making when the markets are kind of doing, you know, they're they're misbehaving, let's say. Let's say that it rained the last three days in a row. You ever know anybody who says it always rains here? I hate it. It always rains. Yep. And if you added it up, it probably didn't rain 365 days. So always is 365 days. It feels like it always rains because you haven't seen the sun come up in a week. Right. But it doesn't always rain. So if you were to say it always rains from now on, I'm not doing anything outdoors and I'm only going to wear my raincoat forever and my galoshes and that the 150 sunny days a year, you're out there in a raincoat and galoshes toting around your umbrella. Wouldn't you feel kind of foolish? Yep. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it just so happened. Maybe a couple other ones. The stock market's declining. I don't want to throw good money after bad. Hmm. You know, that's a, that's a big one. The uh, stock market's rising. I should keep investing. Yep. Think about that for a second. We talked about in the last one, buying, buying high or buying low and selling high, right? Yep. When you think about risk in the stock market, the higher the stock market, as far as the price of things compared to what they're worth, the riskier it is. Because the, the more it should correct. You've heard the term correction before? Yes, when the market corrects, what's happening is maybe something's actually worth $100, but it's been selling at 120 
And the market figures it out and says, nope, we're not going to, we're only going to pay you 100 now. So the price comes down. So that's a correction. It's not a crash. It's not a catastrophe. It's not a recession. It's just a correction. It's a resetting back to the norms. So that's what's happening there. When the market's really low, it's less risky. Why? Because it already crashed, right? When that price is after COVID, when everything went down 30% or more, right? There were stocks down 70, 80%. They weren't going bankrupt. It was it was because of the situation. It was just people were afraid, so they were selling everything. The risk was gone. You could get it for so cheap. Think about it like this. You go to the store, and there's this really, really nice pair of pants for sale. And you would never spend that much money on that pair of pants because you know what? You got kids and they get, they get, you know, dirty handprints on everything. Yep. But it's so darn cheap. You know what? It's worth it. It's just worth it. Right. So you buy the pants knowing that, yeah, maybe we'll get some handprints on them because it's such a good deal. That's what happens when the market really, when prices really, really get low. So think about it like this another way. Let's say that you're um, on a ladder and the ladder's 20 feet high, and you fall off the ladder. Maybe that's high enough that you would die if you fell off. You'd hit your head, and that would be it. But what happens if the ladder is only 12 feet tall? Maybe if you fell off, you'd break your arm. What happens if the ladder is only 8 feet tall? You'd hurt your back, right? You're getting less and less hurt as it's coming down closer to the ground, right? When you fall. That's how the market is. If you were to say, okay, at 20 feet, maybe I could get really hurt. Well, what if that ladder's at 105 feet, right? Just to be extreme. You got a long way to fall. There's a lot of risk there. You probably want to tether yourself at that point. That's the stock market. But we don't look at it like that. We look at it as like this magic thing that I just opened up my statement and my mutual funds showed me this, you know, I made money today. Well, and you've talked about, because we've done a series of videos uh, over the last few years. Uh, We did videos when the market was starting to decline a few years back uh, to help our clients make sense of what was happening. And one of the things we talked about is that the stock market does not have a mind of its own. Uh, There's buyers and there's sellers. There's people selling things and there's people buying things. Now, there is news and things that are affecting the emotions that people are feeling because everybody wants to pick winners. Nobody wants to pick losers. But when you're inundated in your job, you're trying to raise your kids, you're trying to raise your family, there's this number at the end of the day that you're looking at that is going to give you the ability to retire or not retire, whether that number is a million, two million, three million, and all of a sudden you get closer to retirement and the number gets cut you know, by a couple hundred thousand dollars because the market's gone down, fear starts to set in. You think I have to work longer, I got to keep doing this, I don't want to lose any more, so maybe I should sell everything I have and wait till this clears up. Or if you're somebody, you have these investment principles, you understand, like you said, you want to sell high and buy low. That's that's actually a lot harder to actually do in principle because we are emotional beings. And so I think as you talk about this, this is the latter principle is really helpful too, um, because it puts into, it's, t- it's easy to talk about a pair of pants or eggs and go, that makes sense. But when you're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars tied into an investment, it's not as easy. So I think if you think back to our first conversation about how diversified are you, and now you're talking about avoiding bad investment decisions by understanding what's recently happening, this is helpful for people that are honestly calling our phone every day saying, what in the world should I be doing? Because I don't know how to make sense of all this stuff. And what are some things I can think about? 
So Travis, I can understand how you're saying I don't need to be emotional or I shouldn't be emotional because I need to look at stocks like good deals and bad deals. But you know, when I went to go originally invest my money, I filled out one of these risk tolerance questionnaires that told me how aggressive I could be. So was that not accurate or does that not tell the whole story? So risk tolerances are, I think there's a good intention behind them. So it's to get you to talk about risk. But I think one of the challenges is a lot of people go to a financial advisor because they don't know. So they're expecting the financial advisor to be, they, you always hear from advisors saying, oh, we do holistic planning. Mm-hmm. You know, so what is that? Well, by its own name, it means that I take everything into account for you. But then I'm going to ask you what level of risk you want to be. And, and unfortunately, with risk tolerances, they're extremely susceptible to the recency bias that we talked about. For instance, if you were to poll most people right after uh, the last market crash, are they aggressive or conservative? Most of them come out and say, I feel really conservative. I don't want to do that again. Right. And if you poll most people, you know, halfway through last year when the market's up 20 plus percent, most of them say, I feel really aggressive. Let's go for it. Yep. So we're really kind of, it depends on what that emotional train that we've been on. I feel really good about things. I feel real positive. I tend to be more aggressive. I feel really nervous about things. I've seen people that were nervous because of their job or because of the unemployment rate or something. And therefore that makes them conservative because their feelings are very kind of negative or kind of depressed, you know, as far as how they feel about the future of things, which has nothing to do with investments. Right. And so most of the time what happens is the market crashes and if the client hasn't been properly informed, they'll call up and say, get my money out of the market. I don't want to lose anymore. Good money after bad. Yep. Right. Or the market goes way up and they say, I got more money. I'm going to give it to you. You did such a good job. And the investment advisor just takes their order and does it instead of saying, no, it's too late. The, the risk already crashed. It's already gone. You know, or the portfolio, they say, well, I'm an aggressive investor and uh, they make all their accounts aggressive. Well, what happens if you need that money in the next six months and there's a market correction, Right. So every portfolio, every account that you have, if there's a purpose for it, should have its own investment risk level. So that risk tolerance, number one, needs to be nuanced to the account. Number two, somebody needs to tell you what you need. And then if you want to be aggressive or conservative in the scope of what you need, that's another discussion. And then number three, you have to make sure that there's not recency bias in it. And that is, I mean, and there's studies on it. There, There is... That is one of the biggest challenges that you have with risk tolerances is we tend to kind of ebb and flow with our consumption of news or information and whether or not it makes us nervous or feel positive. So so within that, laying the groundwork for risk tolerance, I understand. So then how can I begin to fight this inner flight that I sometimes have when, you know, I'm being honest, I look at my investments in light of what's happening in the market, it makes me nervous. And, you know, it's not just me, it's my family, it's my spouse. They're wondering what should we be doing? How do you fight those those emotions that are telling you to maybe run or or shut up, you know, shut down shop? What what do you do at that point? I think number one, if you're afraid of heights, don't stand at the top of the ladder, right? So keep in mind that if you get very nervous about those things, what makes you nervous and try to manage that behavior? For instance, if you're managing your own money, but you're susceptible to making rash decisions because you get spooked by what's going on in the market you probably shouldn't be managing your own money. If you're interviewing a financial advisor or an investment manager, there needs to be a plan that and an expectation of what's going to happen when something happens in the market 
that the advisor will tell you, listen, you're, this is your money. You can override me anytime you want, but this is what you told me to do when the market crashes or this is what we agreed that we're going to do when the market crashes. And if you want us to deviate from that, you're going to have to fire us. Mm. Right. And, and I've learned that the hard way. I've had clients that, um, and most of our, uh, the clients that I work with, we spend a lot of time talking about it, like, look, listen, when the market gets crazy, that's when we can make a ton of money. We can reposition the portfolio. We can get two for one sales. We can really double in. If you're a real investor, you don't like it when the market's really high like it was last year. You like the volatility. You like it when it's doing the stuff it's doing this year. You jump in. You take advantage of those little correlations we talked about in the last episode. You know, things going up and down and, you know, all over the place. You take advantage of that. You know, you make money, you sell high, you buy low, that type of stuff. That's what an investor does. Yep. Uh, if, if your emotions are blocking you from doing that, if you're saying, well, I bought investments one time and I lost all my money, so stocks are a bad investment. Well, you're buying mutual funds. They own stocks too, so they can't be that bad. Maybe you just had a couple of bad buys or, or you made some bad decisions. Like you have to get all the emotions and all that recency bias stuff out of it. But, you know, back to learning it the hard way, you and, and I've had conversations I, I over the last market crash that we had in COVID. I personally had about two out of all the clients I work with that regardless of their investment experience, regardless of how long we've been working, they they both came in and they said, I have to sell. I'm comfortable with, with the amount of money I have. I want to be out. No matter what we get, we couldn't talk them out of it. So they took like 10, 15% losses. Then they came back when the market recovered and said, why aren't I making money again? I don't know how to, I, I, I can't, I can't manage money to a re, to emotions, right? right? I have to have a plan to follow because now I don't know when to put the money back in, yep. right? Because I'm afraid I'm going to have a blow up. So the answer comes then if you're working with somebody or if you're doing it on your own, you have to think about it with such a lack of emotion where you're like, listen, if you're doing something to harm yourself and you're asking me to help you, I'm going to tell you no. And you can fire me if that makes you mad. Right. And that's yep. it. I mean, you literally need that type of relationship. Now, that's not to say there could be changing circumstances, right? Yep. Maybe your circumstances changed, and that's why you need them to get off the playbook. But you need that's why you hire an advisor, not to take your orders, but to say, hey, you're going to hurt yourself really bad if you do that. You should not be doing that. But here's what we can do. The market's down already. It's down 30%. That's not where it is this year, but in general, like for this example, the market's down 30%. Yep. And um, we're selling uh, you know, some investments that either didn't go down or we're selling some fixed income off. And we're going to be doubling down into stocks that are down 30, 40, 50, 60%. Because you know, if the average is down 30, there's stuff in there way down below that. We're going to be, and we're going to sell the stuff that's above the average and buy the stuff below the average. We're going to be doubling down into there so when it recovers, you get all that return. Yep. That's what your investment guy or your financial manager ought to be telling you. This whole stay the course, put your head in the sand, or you know what? Yeah, okay, I'll get you out. We'll put it back in later. You didn't, you're not, you don't have a financial advisor, you have an order taker. Yeah. And and if I think back to that first conversation where we talked about 20 to 100 investments versus a portfolio of funds, if the idea is stay the course or do nothing because we're diversified enough that it'll settle itself out, you've given a couple analogies now that all of us as consumers, whether you're talking about stocks, home purchases, cars, we love deals. Uh, you can have somebody that's looking at the current real estate market and they're overwhelmed that they got to pay a premium for everything. 
you might have another person that walks into a property that isn't selling for as much as they thought, and they can already envision what they're going to do with that house to drive its value up. It's not a challenge to them because they know what they're getting into. So I think not to, to make it so elementary, but a lot of what I'm hearing from you is if you go in and you have a little bit of a playbook, a little bit of a guiding light disciplines that say, we're going to make money when the market is down. That's so counterintuitive to the way most of us emotionally think because of the idea of FOMO, fear of missing out. We've done podcasts on this. You know, it's easier to say when you're in a calm air conditioned room, filling out a, a risk tolerance questionnaire saying, yeah, I like to make money. I'm aggressive. But when rubber meets the road and the market's down, that's where you really need an advocate in your corner uh, that has a plan so that you don't make bad investment decisions, which are truthfully probably just resting too much on your emotions as a human and selling when you shouldn't sell and buying when you shouldn't buy. So it's really simplistic. Got to have a plan. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know what you're buying and why. As we say all the time at Seed, every investment has to serve a purpose. If it doesn't serve a purpose, you just own stuff. And nobody likes just owning stuff. So we hope in this episode, we can give you some things that can help you protect yourself from some of the recency bias. So you're not sabotaging yourself from losing out on potential money that's there to be made, but also not also investing money at the wrong time that you can cost yourself. And as we bring this next uh, series to a close, one of the big areas we're going to talk about is what do you do with all this cash you might have? A lot of investors out there, they've either sold properties, they just have a lot of investments saved up in, in terms of cash and savings or checking accounts. They want to invest it, but they don't know when, they don't know how, they don't know how to get into it. So we're going to talk about this cash conundrum and what you can do in a different way to look at your cash. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great uh, final to our series. Well, thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this entire episode. Uh, we hope that this information has inspired you and empowered you to go out and live your best life. But let's be honest, you might have a question or two about some of the things we talked about today. If this is you, Travis and I are here to help in any way that we can. You can reach out to us and follow us on social media on Facebook at CPG. You can send us an email, uh, info at seedpg.com. Just let us know in the email. This is in regards to ditch the suits, a question or topic you might want us to cover. Or you can visit our website, which is seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. Head up to that right corner, fill out that contact us button, and just let us know in the comments that this is in regards to Ditch the Suits. If you have a question, a series of questions, or anything we can do to help you on your journey to financial freedom, Travis and I are here to help. So again, it's your money and it's your life. You only get one shot at this thing. Our job is to make sure you get the most out of it. Thanks for being our guest. And until next time, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. And be sure to share with a friend.